Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. You've made the best decision you could possibly make by tuning your ear to the Word of God. I would love to invite you to stay updated with us on Facebook and YouTube. You can find us at Revival House Church. Father, bless this person and let the seed of the Word multiply 30, 60, and 100 times over in Jesus' name. Praise God. Well, we're gonna, I'm going to try to possibly finish up the armor of God. No promises. I can get on one verse and I'll just get to going and I don't feel the Lord tell me to leave, so I camp. I just stay right there. You know, I have till now, till Jesus comes back to finish this up, so no rush. Amen. Hopefully you don't miss anything. Keep coming. Keep plugging in. But in Ephesians chapter 6, We've been talking about the armor of God, and it says this, one final word, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might or in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. So just pause here and note the whole premise of what we've been teaching is God did not just leave us hanging out to dry, that we don't have to live under the oppression of the enemy. And that's what most Christians do. They just constantly live dictated, beat up, and under the oppressive hand of of Satan and demonic power where their life is nothing but a struggle and they think that that's just our portion. That's just how things are. And I'm telling you, that's not how things have to be. God, Amen. God gave us specific things that he said, if you do these things, you will be able to stand firm. Say stand firm. Why is this such a prevalent message in this hour? Because we're, I'm talking to a church, not just this church, the church of this day that needs to learn how to stand firm. Come on, somebody. If anything could tell us about 2020 through 2022 is that the church needs a new lesson in how to stand firm and how to hold its ground and how to back down devils. Are you with me? Not a compromising church, a church that stands firm and grabs a hold of the things of God and is strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Stand firm against the strategies of the devil. You need to know this. We're not fighting against flesh and blood, but against uh, evil rulers, authorities in the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. You have to learn how to fight against the devil. Amen. Most Christians don't know how to fight against the devil, and because they don't know how to fight against the devil, they lose every fight. So, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy, say resist, in the time of evil. Again, this is this, I want you to say this word. I want you to say immune. What I'm talking to you about is God is giving us a blueprint on how to live immune from the enemy. Not like, oh, I'm struggling, Brother John. I'm just struggling this week. Satan's really coming after me. I'm telling you today, if you listen, this will teach you how to live immune from the hand of the enemy. That when somebody talks to you, they're not going to hear somebody that's got their head hung low and how, how they're just they're getting beat up and they're in a constant struggle. They're going to say, how are you? You're going to say, man, I am great. You're great. You don't even begin to understand how blessed I am. I am so blessed. Things have been going so well. It's just, it's just crazy. I have people, you know, 
things happen and, and people do goofy stuff. Sometimes I've had people come up and just like, you know, oh, Brother John, how's your church doing? I'm like, man, my church is doing better than it's ever done. More souls are getting saved. More people are getting baptized. More people are getting touched. More people are getting healed. We're doing better financially than we've ever done. We're doing better numerically than we've ever done. Hallelujah. We're doing more than we've ever done. I said, my church is doing great. And they're like, well, that's not what I was expecting. Exactly, because what you expect when you talk to most Christians is a sob story. Because they don't know how to stand firm against the strategies of the devil and overcome. It says if you resist, say resist. So put on the, uh, every piece of God's armor. And look, it says every piece. Say every piece. There's five pieces of the armor that we've been going over. You cannot just have one or the other. You have to have it all. If you don't have it all, you're compromised. And if you're comprom compromised, the enemy can infiltrate your life. So the way that we resist is by putting on the armor of God. And here's the most amazing thing. The Bible says resist the devil and what? He will flee from you. You won't be fleeing from him. He will flee from you if you resist. How do I resist? Armor of God. Say the armor of God. Look at this. You'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth. Here's the list here. Here's the pieces of God's armor. If you haven't been here, write these things down. Putting on the belt of truth. Say truth. Then, and the body armor of God's righteousness. Say God's righteousness. So you need truth. You need righteousness. If you don't have truth... But, you know, you're like, well, I have faith, but you don't have truth. Well, you're not putting on every piece. Say, well, I have faith and I have truth, but I don't have righteousness. I live in sin. Well, guess what? You're not putting on every piece. If you're not putting on every piece, you won't stand firm against the enemy. He'll eat your lunch every single day of the week. So you got to have truth. You have to have righteousness. Man, and again, I preached a whole message on that. That is something that we're afraid to hold up a holy standard in the house of God. There is a standard for the Christian, and it is to be holy as he is holy. Amen. Not I'm just struggling with sin every day. No, you put to death the deeds of the flesh by the power of the Spirit, and we live holy lives, righteous lives. Say sin free. That'll get you shot in most religious circles, but it's the truth. For shoes, put on peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. So that's for shoes. Say shoes. You know, the Bible says, go into all the world and preach this gospel. Make disciples. The Bible says, how beautiful are the feet that come bearing good news. How can they hear unless someone tells them? And how can someone tell them unless they're sent? How beautiful are the feet that carry the good news? So really, when it's talking about this, this gospel of peace, this peace, these shoes of peace, it's talking about a soul winner. Say a soul winner. So you need to understand that there is a covering for a soul winner. There's a covering for a person that's on assignment. Amen. You start winning souls, and you watch what God starts doing in your life. 
I'm telling you, you start becoming a person that's not just a chair-sitting, pew-sitting Christian, and you go out and you start going after the lost and preaching the gospel, and you watch how the power of God comes behind your life. You watch how things begin to open up for you. You watch how victory just begins to come in your personal life because you're say, what you're doing is you're putting God's kingdom first, and he said, if you'll take care of my house, I'll take care of your house. You won't even have to worry about it. There's a tangible covering, anointing, blood cover, whatever you want to say, over a soul winner's life. All right, now faith. Say faith. So we talked about this last week, the shield of faith. And I could preach about faith. I have a book coming out about faith. I love that, the message of faith. Hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put that verse up if you can in the New King James for me. In addition to all of these. Oh, is that up? Yeah. Hold up the shield of faith to stop. No, put it up in the New King James if you can. Above all. Say above all. You know, that is interesting. I I was actually studying this passage last night, and I've never caught that. But he's saying even above the truth and the righteousness and all of that, above all, you have to have faith. Faith is important. Faith isn't some sub-doctrine. It's a primary doctrine. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all. Say all. All means each and every single one without exception. All the fiery darts of the wicked one. So if you can learn how to begin to operate in faith, you will not live infiltrated by the enemy. You can hold up what's known as the shield of faith in every single assignment against your life, your children's lives, your household's lives, your property. Whatever comes against you, you can quench every attack of the enemy by faith. Are you all with me? So far we got truth, righteousness, peace, or soul winning, assignment, faith, and today salvation. So it says this, put on salvation as your helmet. This is the last piece of God's armor. Salvation. Say salvation. Put on salvation as your helmet. Verse 17, and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Hallelujah. One more time. Say salvation. So I'm going to ask you a question. How is salvation protective? Right, this isn't, it's not talking about salvation in the context of you'll get to go to heaven one day. That's not what it's talking about. You know why? Because it's talking about this in the context of protection against the strategies of the enemy. There is no strategies of the enemy in heaven. Amen. You're not going to have to fight the devil off in heaven. You're not going to have to win battles in heaven. You've already won when you get to heaven. There is no sickness that you got to use your faith for. There is no poverty that you got to use your faith for. You say, man, I can't, my light bill in heaven's getting a little low. Just walk outside and with a little knife and scrape some gold off the street and there you go. Your bills are paid. You're good. Hallelujah. So this is talking about the protective power of salvation. This is what people don't understand, that there is actually a protection that comes with salvation. Can you say amen? So number one for salvation today, I want you to write this down. How is salvation protection against the enemy? Number one, salvation sets you in a place of authority over the enemy. 
Look at Ephesians chapter 1. In verse 19, Paul said, I pray you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. Think about that. I pray you will understand the incredible. Say the incredible. You know, the Bible says the same power that quickened the dead body of Jesus Christ and rose him from the grave is the power that lives on the inside of you and the inside of me. Continue to read this. It says, this is the same mighty power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in heavenly realms. Guys, there's resurrection power on the inside of you and on the inside of me. There's power to cast down every devil. There's power to move any mountain. There's power to win any victory. There's power to heal the sick. There's power to raise the dead. There's power to, to, to totally live immune from the strategies of the enemy in every single way there's power to give us new life and Paul was saying I pray you would understand this power that you have get a revelation of what's on the inside of you come on somebody it's hard to be defeated guys it's hard to stay sick as a Christian when you get a hold of this power are y'all with me you get a hold of it that you have victory because of salvation so continue to read it says now he is far, talking about Jesus, above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. Jesus is far above. Say far above. He's far above any president, any governor, any prime minister. He's far above. Not only it says this, on, on, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. What does that mean? He's not only far above any earthly ruler, he's far above any spiritual ruler. Any devil, any principality, any power, Jesus is seated far above. Say far above. Well, that's great for Jesus, right? What about me? Well, it says this. God has put all things under the authority of Jesus Christ and has made him the head over all things. Why? For the benefit of the church. Who's the church? It's you. It's me. The church is the ecclesia. The church is the body of Christ. Basically what Paul is saying is that you were counted in Christ. And when, when God exalted Christ far above, you're counted in him. That means if he's seated in heavenly places and you're seated in him, you're seated in heaven heavenly places above any ruler principality power president governor come on somebody I was listening to Leonard Ravenhill some powerful men of God that you know when you start really making an impact I'm sure Billy Graham heard it I'm sure many people have heard it but they'll try to start getting you to run for political office when you start shaking a nation, they're like, you should run for president. We like what you have to say. You know, that would actually be, not that you can't be spirit-filled president, that would be a demotion. That would be a demotion from being one of the five-fold members of the body of Christ. There is no higher office. Come on. There's no higher office than being a man or a woman of God. There's no higher authority. Did you know the church has more authority than the government does? according to the scripture. And so it's, we're seated far above. you got to get this, that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're counted in him. Salvation sets you in a place of authority over the enemy. 
You got to learn how to use that authority. And that's what Paul's saying. You don't even understand what, what you're capable of doing. You don't even understand the power. I pray you would get a revelation of the power that is at work inside us who believe. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray right now you open our eyes to that power. You open our eyes to that resurrection power. You get a revelation of that, I'm telling anybody in here, you're, you think, well, I'm struggling with alcohol. You won't struggle with anything anymore. I'm struggling with pornography. You won't struggle. You, there will be no struggle left in you because of the resurrection power that consumes your life. Hallelujah. So how is salvation protection? Number two, you could write this down. The blood of Jesus sets you apart. The blood of Jesus sets you apart. This is in Exodus 12, 23. This was at the first Passover. The Bible says this. The Lord said, for the Lord will pass through the land to strike down the Egyptians. But when he sees the blood on the top and the sides of the doorframe, the Lord will pass over your home. He will not permit his death angel to enter your house and strike you down. Okay, so in the, in the Passover, in the Old Testament, at the first Passover, they took a lamb, they slaughtered the lamb, they took the blood of that lamb in Egypt. They, all the Israelites put it over their doorposts, the ones that obeyed God. And that night, as a death angel came through that camp, the angel's going through the streets and going into every house, but every house that was marked by that blood, it could not enter in. That was a type and shadow of the blood of Jesus. Come on. Guys, if the blood of a, of a lamb that just simply represented the blood of Jesus could deter a death angel, how much more can the actual blood of Jesus that covers you and cover me protect us, cover our household, mark us, where the devil looks and he says, I can't even enter into that home. I have no legal right. Come on, somebody. You've got to believe this. The blood, say the blood, sets me apart. Say this, say, I'm not like everyone else because the blood sets me apart. This is exactly, I was going to read this later. I don't care if you're tired of, of hearing it. I'm not tired of it. I love it. In Psalms 91, I love reading this. Those that live in the shelter of the Most High will find shadow in the, in the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge and my place of safety. He's my God and I trust him. He will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. Say protection from deadly disease. Why do I have protection from deadly disease? Because that blood sets me apart. It sets you apart. That spirit of infirmity goes knocking on doors, prowling around to see whom he can devour. Guess what? When he sees a house that's marked by the blood, he can't devour that house. It says, he'll cover you with his feathers. He'll shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and your protection. We talked about that last week, holding up the shield of faith. 
Do not be afraid of the terrors that fly by the night, nor the arrows that fly by the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in the darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Look at this. Though a thousand fall at your side, and ten thousand are dying around you, these evils will not touch you. Why? Because the blood of Jesus sets me apart from everybody else. Brother John, you better close down. Don't you hear there's a COVID outbreak in, in, in Lufkin? There's a COVID outbreak happening in Houston. There's a COVID outbreak happening right over the border in, in, in Louisiana. You know, you better shut down. Look, if you're in a, if you're in a stadium and there's 10,000 people standing around you shoulder to shoulder, arm to arm, 10,000 people can die around you, but if you're marked by the blood, the evils cannot touch you. You say, listen, I'll pray for them. I'll sympathize for them. I pray they get faith, but I'm not them. I'm not accountable for them. It may be happening to them, but it won't happen to me because the blood sets me apart. You, and you have to, this isn't automatic. You have to hold up the shield of faith. That's, that's taking and yielding. We'll talk about this too, the sword of the spirit, the word of God. You have to yield the word of God. Brother John, you don't understand. My pastor, he got COVID and he, he missed six months sick. Did you ever hear him preach like this? You know why? Because it's not enough that it's there. You have to yield it. You got to speak it. You got to take up the sword of the spirit, the word of God, and you have to release it by faith and put it to work. Hallelujah. The blood sets you apart. 1 John 5.18, we know that God's children don't make a practice of sinning. For God's son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. Say, God's children, say, the son holds them securely. And what? The devil gets to pick at you all the days of your life? No. The evil one cannot touch you. Why can he not touch you? Because you're seated far above where he's at. Why can he not touch you? Because you're marked by the blood and the blood sets you apart. The Bible says you were dead in Colossians 2, 13 through 15. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. I could preach a whole nother message on that. Jesus did not only forgive you of the sins that you transacted, what he really did was cut away our sin nature. You know, we were born of the first nature, Adam. Adam was a, when, when Adam obeyed the serpent over God, he became something different than what he was created. And the Bible says a seed produces according to its kind. So a sinner gets together with a sinner. What do they make? A sinner. And by nature, the Bible says that we were... We were enemies of God by nature. But Jesus did not only forget, forgive us of the things that we've done, the, the, the transgressions, of uh, mistakes that we've made. He did that, but the Bible actually says the, the life of Christ came on the inside of us. We're born of, of the second Adam, now Jesus. Come on, we're born of his nature. His life is in us, and it actually says in 1 John chapter 3 that if the life of God is in you, you cannot continue in living in sin. You won't continue living in sin. Why? Because that nature has been cut away. Hallelujah. So it says, then God made you alive in Christ, and he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of charges against us, took it away by nailing it to the cross. 
In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities, and he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. They disarmed. So they can't touch you. He disarmed them. Colossians 1.13, he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. Listen, say the word has. doesn't say he's going to rescue, rescue you from the kingdom of darkness. It says he has rescued you. When? By the finished work of the cross, he broke the back of the enemy. Now, anybody that comes underneath that blood, it sets you apart from his hand and his oppression in your life. Man, this is so pivotal. On the same line here, look at 1 John 2, 13 through 14. I'm writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ, who existed from the beginning. I'm writing to you who are young in the faith. Look at this. I'm writing to you who are young in the faith because you have won your battle with the evil one. Did it say you're going to win? No, it says you have one. You, you are young in the faith. You haven't even done anything. You just got saved yesterday. The Bible says you've already won your battle with the evil one. Why? Because Jesus gave us the victory through salvation. I have written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. And I have written to you who are mature in faith because you know Christ, who existed from the beginning. I have written to you who are young in the faith because you're strong. God's word lives in your heart. And look at this. You have won your battle with the evil one. It says it again. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. So, salvation. How is it protection? Because salvation sets you in a place of authority over the enemy. Number two, the blood of Jesus sets you apart. You know, and I want to tell, tell you this as well. You cannot clean yourself up enough. People think that you can just, you got problems, you got marriage issues. And you think, well, if I do this and I do this and I do this, then I can do a few things and, and it can get resolved. You may make things temporarily better, but you cannot clean yourself out of the devil's oppression. You have to. There's, there's the step one. You have to get saved. You know, I preached this message Friday night to the youth, and I preached out of Proverbs chapter 3 that says, mark a path for your feet to walk. It doesn't tell, tell us that God's going to mark our path. It tells us we must mark our path. And I said, I'm going to lay the path out for you. I'm going to lay each step. This is what you need to do. Step number one, you must get saved. Listen to anybody to me, listen to me in this room. Step number one in your life, you have to give your life to Jesus. You have to surrender your life to Jesus because there's no other way to break the bondage and the oppression of the devil off of your life than coming into that blood, coming underneath that blood and coming into salvation. Hallelujah. What do I need to do, man? You know, you may say, well, John, that seems like an obvious. But is it? Because what are we doing? When people get on, on drugs, our solution is let's just throw them in a rehab. Let's go learn and, and teach you how to get skills to cope with this addiction, and you'll always be an addict. No, you don't always have to be an addict. You can break that off of your life in one simple act of faith by coming under the blood of Jesus. That's step one. Say step one. 
Hallelujah. So that is the five elements of the armor of God, but I'm going to talk to you about two more. So if you see demonic infiltration, looking back at Ephesians chapter 6, if you see demonic infiltration in your life, the Lord told us if we do these things, if we hold up the shield of faith, if we put on the armor of God, we'll resist the enemy. He'll flee from us. After that time, after that test, you'll still be standing firm. So that means that if the enemy ever infiltrates our life, there must be a compromise in one of these five areas. Right? Are you with me? Man, what's going on? How come everything seems to be falling apart? Go through this list. Is your truth out of whack? Is your righteousness out of whack? out of whack? Is your assignment out of whack? Is your faith, are you holding up the shield of faith? And then the final question to ask, is my salvation, am I even right with God? That's a very healthy question that people should ask. I'm not telling you that you should get saved and then run around worried that you're not saved every day and every week at the altar call, you know, you've done your best to live for the Lord, but you need to come up week after week and day after day. I'm not talking about that, but it is very healthy to evaluate your standing with God. In fact, I think people treat it much too loose because Paul said himself, I would hate to go take this gospel and do this work to the Gentiles and all these other people and then find that I myself have been disqualified when I stand before him. That's why if you've been coming on Wednesday night, I've been going through Revelation 2 and 3 where Jesus wrote seven letters to seven churches saying things like this to them. I know all the things that you do and you're neither hot nor cold. Because you're lukewarm, I'll vomit you out of, out of my mouth. I know all the things that you do, but you don't love me and love one another like you did at first. Repent and if you don't, I'll come and remove your lampstand from among its place. You know, those are healthy things to consider. Come on, somebody. I don't understand how we have a generation of Christians that live far from God. They don't pray. You know, hallelujah, I'm going to get off on a tangent here, but it's okay. I was listening to Leonard Ravenhill, and it's true. You know, um, a, a powerful man of God. And he was alive in the 80s. He was an old man, and he was preaching, and he was really alive during that time where there was, he was part of the, the revival that happened in the 40s and the 50s. And in the 80s, the Word of Faith movement came, and there's all this, uh, especially in Texas in the, Bible belt, in the Bible Belt, churches were just plumb-packed. And he said he would talk to pastors and say, you know, the pastors would be telling them, we got 1,000 here and 2,000 there and 4,000 here. And he said, that's great. How many do you have in your prayer meetings? And number one, he actually began to talk about how the church had done away with prayer meetings completely. The church isn't even doing it anymore. Guys, that's not a secondary. That's a fundamental piece of New Testament Christianity. They devoted themselves to apostles' teaching, to fellowship, sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Say to prayer. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, when you pray... When you give, when you fast. He didn't say if you pray, if you give, if you fast. There's an expectation of the Christian. Come on, some of y'all are looking at me like, oh my gosh, I can't wait for this to get over. Look, you know, there's no seatbelts in this church. I'm going to preach to you because there's people that aren't ready to stand before the Lord. 
What I meant by there's no seatbelts, like there's nothing chaining you here at any time. If you're like, I just don't like this and I have a better use of my time, good luck finding it. Hallelujah. But, you know, he, number one, churches had completely done away with prayer. They, there wasn't organized prayer. Why? Because it doesn't fit into our schedule, you know. And number two, because prayer doesn't build seeker-sensitive churches. Because if you have a prayer meeting, most churches won't do it because, number one, if you have the prayer meeting, they'll have the fear no one will come. Why will no one come? Because you're preaching such a, a, a loose, watered-down gospel that nobody even feels the, the conviction and the obligation to do anything for God. So no one will come. And then number two, well, if we're going to keep it anyways and try to get people there, I, can't, I don't know if we can do that because I'll have to start preaching with some conviction. And the crowd that I'm trying to preach to, if I start trying to preach anything that makes them feel any type of obligation whatsoever, they won't come back to this church. That's not discipleship, my friends. That's a lie. You cannot be an on-fire Christian and not pray and not love the Holy Ghost in the presence of God. You cannot be an on-fire Christian, and, and, and it's hard to show up to church once a week. It ain't hard to show up to Taco Bell. It ain't hard to show up to Roadhouse. It ain't hard to click on the TV, but we're putting the things of God secondary, and we're thinking because of this watered-down message we're receiving that we're, our standing is right with the Lord. But he literally told them, you don't love me like you did in the beginning. You're not hot or cold. You're indifferent. You're lukewarm, and I'll vomit you out of my mouth. Come on, somebody. So Leonard Ravenhill asks him, he says, how many of you got in your prayer meeting? And, um, you know, this church, thousands and thousands, well, they, they probably had less than 100 coming to prayer, which that's great, 100 people. But when you got a church of like 5,000 people, that's not a lot of people. That's not even a tithe of the people that are coming to prayer. And I just don't want to deceive anybody. You know, I mean, I'm telling you, we're going to build this house by the word and the anointing of the Holy Ghost or it's going to stay as it is because I'm not doing the seeker-sensitive thing. I'm not going to drive myself into the grave at 50 years old by having to implement all this fake stuff to supplement the anointing just to attract people to come into this church. It's not going to happen because the Word of God's strong enough. The Word of God's enough to change your life. The anointing of the Holy Ghost will break the yoke of bondage off of your life. And so, you know, he says, this church said, okay, we have this prayer meeting. We're going to pray on Friday night from 9 to midnight. Most Christians would poop their pants. A three-hour prayer meeting, there's no way. Just so you know how much this church, we have prayer not, uh, Sunday mornings, 9.30 before service. Right after service, the youth get together and go have another prayer meeting. And then at 6 o'clock, we get back up here and we have another prayer meeting. There's three prayer meetings happening out of this, out of this house just on Sunday alone. I'm not saying that, oh, toot the horn. I'm just, I'm telling you, you know, it's something that we honor and value. So they have this prayer meeting, this church thousands deep, and Raven Leonard Hill, he, he starts, oh, I'm sorry, Leonard Ravenhill, Leonard Leonard, goes to this prayer meeting, and he says, this, this church had like 37, 38 elders, and he goes, Where's all your elders? And the pastor goes, oh, look, I can count about 15 of them right here. And he said, 15. You have how many, 37, 39, 15? Okay, great. He said, call a meeting tomorrow. 
and get the other 22 of them in here and fire each and every one of them. Hallelujah. You go, oh, John, I just don't like that. You're making me feel like I actually have to do something to serve the Lord. Yes, I'm, I'm telling you, you have to. You have to do something. You've got to get the fire of God. I'm not going to lie to you. In Matthew chapter 25, there was ten virgins. Five, they all had their lamps lit. They all had the oil. They all had the fire. Five of them kept oil. Five of them let their oil run dry. When the bridegroom came back, the five that didn't have oil, guess what? They didn't go into the feast. And I'll preach it till I'm blue in the face. There's only one type of Christian that I believe biblically that inherits heaven. It's the Christian that's on fire and full of the Holy Ghost. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, not everyone who calls to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, many won't. This is entitled True Disciples. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. What is the will of the Father? You know, I've been deceived about assignment. Can you say assignment? And I heard something that shook me to my core. The largest crusade evangelist on planet Earth right now, the one that's doing the largest crusades is a man named Dag Haywood Mills. I heard him preach. I was listening to a service that he was doing in Pittsburgh And he said, there's only one assignment to the Christian. Go and preach the gospel, make disciples of nations. One. There's one assignment. That's it. But he said what we've done in America, he's not from America. He's an African preacher. And I don't know about y'all, I like them African preachers. I'm like, I'm sick of the American thing. It doesn't work. It's weak. It's wimpy. It's puny. No one's getting saved. I want the gospel that works. And so he said, uh, in America, we've changed the assignment. People think, well, I'm a lawyer, right? That's my occupation. So my job is to be a lawyer for Jesus and go make some money and funnel it back into the kingdom. Well, that's great that you want to give and you want to do that, but that's not a biblical assignment, actually. There's only one assignment for every Christian, a soul-winning Christian. Who wins souls? Say, who wins souls? In Mark 16, this isn't secondary. In Mark chapter 16, Jesus only had one thing in mind. He said, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned, and these miraculous signs will accompany those who believe, right? These miraculous signs, he's not saying will accompany you apostles. They'll accompany anyone who accepts this message. They'll cast out devils, he said. They'll be able to speak in new languages. They'll be able to place their hands. Uh, I'm sorry, they'll be able to handle snakes with safety, drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. We talked about that under the, the covering of a person that's on assignment, a soul winner's covering. They'll be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. Hallelujah. Any person that encountered Jesus... If they encountered Jesus and wanted to be his disciples, what did he say? Come and follow me. 
but, but Jesus, my father just died. I need to go bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. Your job is to go and preach the gospel. Say, my job. Say, if I'm saved, my one job is to preach the gospel. Say, that is the will of my father. Hallelujah. In fact, even whenever Jesus healed the demonized man, the man with the legion of demons, that man wanted to come follow Jesus. And Jesus said, no, you, you need to go back home. And what did he say? Tell them what I've done for you. And it says that that man actually went home and began to go to the surrounding villages and preaching the gospel. So no matter who you were, no matter what occupation, if you were a tax collector, if you were a Pharisee, if you were a fisherman, if you were a carpenter, it didn't matter your occupation because your occupation actually wasn't your assignment. There's only one biblical assignment, to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. So whenever I gauge my church, I don't gauge, well, how many people can we get in here on a Sunday morning? We can do a lot of stuff to draw people in. I want to gauge of how many people are coming, how many people are being transformed by the word of God, how many people are showing up to prayer, how many people are showing up on a Saturday morning to go shut their lives down and preach the gospel, step outside of themselves, and go tell somebody God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life, and there's only one way to make heaven, and Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through, except through him. In fact, if you start going door to door and preaching the gospel, 98% of the church will laugh at you and think, "What? Well, you're like a Mormon. You're like a Jehovah Witness. No, I'm like a biblical Christian. It makes me mad. The lie, because Jesus said, just because you called that name, we've watered it down. We just make it a simple little cute little clever prayer, and you know, and, and this is the thing. I like to preach. I, I find myself on both sides of the coin. Because, you know, I was listening to something that was just trashing the, po- the prosperity gospel, which is so stupid to me. The Bible uses the word prosperity. Okay, say prosperity. In fact, you cannot, I will debate any person, you cannot read that Bible and and prove to me that the scripture doesn't teach that if you obey the scripture, it will produce prosperity in your life. It's irrefutable doctrinally. Well, I don't believe in that prosperity. Well, you must not believe the Bible because the Bible says that if you obey the commands and the law of the Lord and you, just like Joshua, Joshua chapter 1, do not deviate from it to the right or to the left, you will be successful and prosper in everything that you do. How can you read the book of Proverbs? If you don't like prosperity, rip the book of Proverbs out of your Bible. You cannot refute that it is taught in the Bible that giving produces prosperity. Jesus taught it. Malachi taught it. Solomon taught it. Jesus taught it. Paul, Paul taught it. It's irrefutable that your giving goes forth a seed and it produces a harvest for you. I don't, like that, I don't like that prosperity gospel. You just preach that if you give, God's going to bless you. Yeah, the Bible, I don't preach that. The Bible says that. Give and it will be given to you. Whatever you make happen for others, it says the Lord will make happen for you. Hallelujah. You know, But I also, so I like to preach both sides of this coin. I like to preach the reward because there's a reward for serving the Lord. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, all that come to him must believe that he is 
And he's a what? Rewarder of those that diligently seek after him. God created us with a reward base. With a, we, we, we like to do things when we know there's a reward for it. And, and Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, anything that you give up for the gospel and for the kingdom, he said now in this time, doesn't matter if it's properties, houses, brothers, sisters, friends, family, he said now in this time you'll receive a hundred times whatever you give up, and in the life to come you'll have eternal life along with persecution. So say reward. There is a reward, but the other side of the coin is there is only one way. There is a other reality that even if there is no reward, which there is, there's only one way, and that way is Jesus Christ. There's no other way to live life. You live this life apart from Jesus Christ, you will go to hell. There's no other way to get to heaven. And in fact, there's no other way to live life on this earth. We've got to stop lying to our kids. We've got to stop lying to our teenagers. If you come to Revival House Church Youth Service, last Friday night, I preached to those kids for an hour and a half. Some of you are like, that just seems ridiculous. Is it, though? Is it ridiculous considering 85% of students that graduate high school are dropping out of the church left and right because the word that's been given to them is so watered down and compromised? I just think that's a bit much. Really? Because we have kids going out soul winning every single day, winning souls, filling this church up. Come on, <laughs> Come on somebody. You know, and I know this can seem intimidating. But, Lord, I'm not a, I don't really like to, I can't imagine myself knocking on a door. I can't imagine myself going and making it my sole mission to share the gospel with people, to bring in the harvest. I can't imagine myself. I'm going to challenge you. Then you got to die to yourself. Because that's, uh, that's you, that's not Christ that lives in you. Christ isn't afraid. Christ is a preacher. Well, I can't preach. Is Jesus in you? Because he can preach. Is the Holy Ghost in you? The Bible says if the Holy Ghost is in you, you can stand before men. And if you don't even have to worry about what to say, he said you'll stand before men and I'll fill your mouth with words. Well, I don't know if I could do that. What if that girl thinks that I'm goofy? Then that ain't the right girl. You don't need to be worrying about that girl. That girl ain't going to do nothing for you but probably give you a couple child, uh, child support payments and a wrecked life. Come on, somebody. I'm telling these kids, run fast, run hard into the things of God. I tell our youth all the time, you even consider, I tell our girls, you consider in a boy. You bring him to service. See how he can hang. If he can't hang, then you just cut him loose, not even wasting my time. Amen. You know why? Because what, what will you do? You'll give in to lust. You'll give in to your desire. You'll build your relationship on that, and then you'll constantly be living with somebody that hates the things of God. You have a seat on the inside of you. I want to go to the house of God. I want to get in the anointing. I want to fly to Tampa and go sit with Dr. Rodney Howard Brown for a week, and you'll have somebody that's just sitting there the whole time. I hate this. Can't we leave? Isn't this going to be over anytime soon? And your life's going to suck, and you're going to look back and say, man, I wish that I wouldn't have done that, but now that I did it, the two become one. I can't get a divorce, or I'll find myself at odds with God. And Listen, just make the decision beforehand. Don't compromise. Hallelujah. I don't know where that came from, Lord, but it came from the Holy Ghost. Because I'm talking, you need to, you need, when there's demonic infiltration, you have to examine your life. Is your salvation compromised? 
Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. I'm going to end with this point here. Ephesians. And I'll also tell you, too, I don't want to water down the gospel. I just, uh, I can't, I can't lie to you. If you want, you know, I was looking at this watch. This is a beautiful watch. But this isn't real gold. This is, you know, this isn't like five-carat gold. This is an imitation of gold. It's beautiful. But I was looking at this watch yesterday, and the, and the Lord began to speak to me, and he said, you know, I, I was thinking, how much would this watch be worth if it was like real gold, that it was made out of real gold? Thousands and thousands of dollars. And the Lord spoke to me, and he said, yeah, you know, gold, real gold costs money. Real gold costs something. You can have the fake, you, not that this isn't like, this is a nice watch. Somebody blessed me with this watch, but just follow me. You can have the fake, and yeah, it may look good, and it may be cheap, but if you want the real gold, it's going to cost something. It's going to be valuable. There's a price, and I'm going to tell you, there's a price for the baptism of the Holy Ghost. There's a price for carrying the anointing. It ain't some cheap little parlor trick where you come up and some anointed person just prays on you and it doesn't matter what, where the condition of your heart is, that some little bippity-boppity-boo magic spell, you get hit with the power of God, it doesn't work that way. It, it, the only, there's a price for carrying the treasure of heaven, and I'm going to tell you, it's a high price. It'll cost everything that you have. Everything. A surrendered heart. Fully surrendered. Whenever we lead people to salvation, we don't just say, hey, come pray the prayer. I'll talk to them and say, listen, that smoking stuff, you've got to quit that. Well, let's just get them to the house of God and let's not talk about it and let it get worked out. No, you're a Christian now. There, that means that there's a standard for your life. You, you don't have no business smoking cigarettes anymore. You got no business drinking anymore. You got no business with the pornography, with the drugs anymore. There's a standard. Come on, somebody. You don't believe me? <laughs> oh, gosh. In Acts, I, I read this, and it really shook me. Look at the standard. Anybody ever heard of the story of Ananias and Sapphira? But there was a certain man, so get this, the, all the church, all the people, the revival's happening in Jerusalem, they start selling their homes, their properties, they're bringing the money to the disciples, to the church. But there was a certain man named Ananias, his wife Sapphira, who sold some property. He, bought part, he brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest secret. All, then Peter said, Ananias, have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. Listen to what he says here. The property was yours to sell or not sell, and as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. Peter wasn't like, oh, you have to do this. You have to give me anything. He said it was yours. You could do what you want. But look what he said. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us but to God. And as soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. And I just, I was reading this the other day. In this realization of a standard, 
where there was such a holy standard. Peter's talking to Ananias. How could you, you're a Christian. How could you lie about this? Right? You could do what you want, but there is such a holy, you've been born again, you've been brought into the family of the Lord, that it is so out of place for a Christian to, you know, a little thing like this, lie about something. You brought some of it, you didn't bring it all, and then you lied and said that it was all. He dropped down dead. Guess what? Because there was a standard of a Christian in the New Testament. They didn't water it down and make it a compromised faith. It was all or nothing. I want you to say that. Say all or nothing. You know, Jesus said that, that if you want to be my followers, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else, deny everyone else, even your own self. Say all or nothing. And in fact, what I'm preaching to you is extremely biblical because that title, uh, that section in Luke chapter 14 is called the cost of being a disciple. And he goes on to say, listen, it's all or nothing. You'll either live for me and you'll, you'll lay everything down to follow me or you're living in a lie. You can't follow me. And then he goes on to say, you need to count the cost because you have a lot of people that get excited, but they don't count the cost. Say the cost. Can I ask you, are you willing? Are you willing? Are you willing to lay everything down for Jesus? Say everything. If you would, step out in the back, please. Thank you. Are you willing to lay down your relationships for Jesus? Are you willing to lay down your occupation? Are you willing to lay down your pride? Here's a big one, Christians. Are we willing to lay down our money? Seriously, I mean, you know how many people, Christians, would go visit a place and you start talking about the tithe and the offering. They're like, I'm never going back there. You're, you're not, you're not, they laid down everything in the book of Acts. They literally, can you imagine selling a property with a single purpose? I'm not selling this to put in my 401k. I'm not selling this acreage in this house to, 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 I'm literally with the intentions. I'm going to lay it all, like everything down. This property that I have, I'm going to give it all away, 100% into the work of God. I mean, that's crazy. They gave everything, all of themselves. They devoted themselves completely, wholeheartedly. Are you willing to live for Jesus? Come on, somebody. Are you willing to live for Jesus? Let me ask some of you that are, you live locally. I want to challenge you tonight at 6 o'clock when we're having prayer. Are you willing to live for Jesus? Are you willing to literally say it's going to cost, yes, following Jesus will cost you things sometimes. Actually, that's a lie. All the time it will cost you something. But there's a reward. Lord, bless them for being hearers of the word in Jesus' name. If you would like to sow a seed or partner with this work that the Lord is doing, check out the description of this podcast or go to www.rhctx.com forward slash give. You can find all the ways to give on that page. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Until next time, this is John Wallace.